I love that. I love that because um, at Anchor, we don't just want to be a church that's known necessarily just for what we believe and what we preach. We want to be a church that's also known for what we do, for how we serve and love and bless our community. So I love that that happens. I love that's part of the DNA of our church. And if you would like to join us and be part of Anchor, then that's something that um, you look forward to doing as you get plugged into a gospel community is serving our city. And our gospel communities do that in a number of ways, a number of different ways. So it's great that the Summerhill crew were able to do that this week. Okay, we're going to look at Luke chapter 2 this morning. So if you've got a Bible, you'd like to go there, Luke chapter 2, or maybe you want to get your phone ready. Um, if you don't have a Bible, we've got Bibles at the welcome desk. We'd love to give you one as a gift. If you don't have a Bible at home that you normally use to read, then We'd love to bless you by giving you a gift this morning. You can take one and keep it. We're going to go to Luke chapter 2 together. So if you've got a Bible, go there now. We're looking at this, this, this morning at the story of the birth of Jesus. And often as we look at this story, it's the Christmas story, right? It's a story that we get every Christmas when we go to church. And we often look at this story through the eyes of, say, uh, Mary, who gives birth to Jesus, or the eyes of Joseph, who's adopting Jesus into his family, or say the eyes of the shepherds who get this message and then go and find out that Jesus has been born. But this morning, I want to do something different. What I want to do is I want to peel back the curtains of heaven and look at this story from the perspective of the angels, from a different perspective. And so we're going to get to Luke chapter 2 in a second, but where I want to start this morning is 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 10, and this verse is on the screen. Eventually, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 10 says this, Concerning the salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. That is, the Holy Spirit has inspired these prophets, all of these prophets in the Old Testament, to predict a time and a person. Someone is coming and they, they long to try and figure out who that was, who this person is going to be and, and when this person was going to show up. And then Peter says, It was revealed to them, that's the prophets, that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that have now been announced to you by those who preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. And then this is the verse I want us to pick up. Things into which angels long to look. So the prophets have been obsessing about who this person was that was going to come and, and when this person was going to come. And, and then Peter says, you know what, this, is, this good news, this, this person is the stuff that angels long to look into. Not, not because they don't know about it, not because they're not allowed to, but because angels exist outside of the story of God's salvation, outside of God's story and His work in this world. And so I imagine it's a bit like the angels getting to the edge of the balcony of heaven and, and peering over and looking down at what God is doing. And so I want to look at this story from their perspective as they look on and marvel at what God is about to do. I'm going to pray as we come before God's word. Let's, let's pray together. Father God, we thank you that you address us, that this book gives us life, that your spirit speaks to us through it. And so pray this morning as we come and sit humbly underneath it, that you would minister to us by your spirit. Remind us again that the birth of this child is good news for everyone. Remind us this morning of the gospel, that we've got a savior. And send us out here transformed people. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, 
I want you to imagine for a second what it would be like to be an angel. And you're going to have to work with me. You have to be a bit creative here. But what it would be like to be an angel. You're a, a sinless being, created. You're not eternally existent. You've been created at some point by God. Not exactly sure where, but somewhere between Genesis 1 and Genesis 3, you were created. And you got to see God do his handiwork. Like You got to see God speak. And creation just came into existence. Like God spoke and, and people were created, people in his image and likeness. And, and you marveled at God's creative power to just speak and things would happen. But then you saw Genesis chapter 3 and, and this person that you recognized, this serpent who came. And, and you're like, he's one of ours. He rebelled against the Father and God kicked him out of heaven. And, and now he's there and he's whispering this message into Eve's ear, take and eat the fruit. And you're like, no, don't, don't listen, Eve. It's a lie. And, and your heart breaks as you see Eve take the fruit and eat it and share it with her husband, Adam. And, and you see God kick them out of the garden and expel them from his presence. And then you see God call a man called Abram and make a promise to him that his descendants will be as numerous as the stars in the sky and, and from his offspring all people will be blessed and, and you wait in anticipation but it seems like God's people are multiplying but they're in slavery in Egypt and, and then God raises up a rescuer. His name's Moses and, and, and you watch as Moses leads God's people out of slavery, out of captivity through the Red Sea almost to the promised land. And you, you marvel at the mighty hand of God to bring his people out and rescue them. But, but you watch as God's people begin to grumble so quickly in the desert. And, and you watch as time and time again, Israel forgets their God and forgets who they worship and forgets who their Savior was and, and become complacent and and despite the prophets that God sent time and time and time again, warning them that if they didn't come back to their God, God's going to send enemies to destroy them. And, and you watch as, as God sends Israel's enemies, Assyria and Babylon, to come and, and wrench the people from the land and drag them away from the temple and from their God. And, and you begin to wonder what, what is going to become of God's people. And you watch as Nehemiah plucks up the courage to go to the king and say, I'd like to go back to my land and rebuild the wall and rebuild the temple. And, and the excitement of heaven builds, and, but it's tempered because it's just not what it used to be. And you watch and you listen. You, you peer over the balcony of heaven and, and you're watching and, and God sends this prophet and you listen to the message and you get excited because God promises a time where he's going to take the heart of flesh and make it a heart of, sorry, a heart of stone and make it a heart of flesh and... And then you hear this prophet, Micah. This is what the prophet Micah says, and it gets you excited. Micah chapter 5, verse 2 says this, But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, you are too little to be among the clans of Judah. From you shall come forth for me, one who is ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient of days. And you listen. Similar messages from different prophets about what God is going to do. And, and you wait, and you wait. For 500 years, the angels wait and watch. And then all of a sudden, Gabriel is sent by God, and he rocks up, and he comes to a 100-year-old priest, and he says, <clears throat> funny, your wife's going to fall pregnant, even though she's 100. 
And then six months later, he comes again to Mary and he says, Mary, despite the fact that you're a peasant virgin, you're going to have a child and, and heaven is getting excited. And then they wait another nine months and then they hear, yes, Mary and Joseph are on their way to Bethlehem, Bethlehem of all places. And heaven gets excited. The angels long to look into the story of God. And we get to Luke chapter 2. So let's go, Luke chapter 2. <coughs> Sorry, that's loud. <clears throat> Luke chapter 2. In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Corinus was governor over Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea in a city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for him in the inn. This, this birthplace of Jesus, Bethlehem, is no accident. This is the very place that God promised 500 years before to the prophet Micah that his ruler would come from, his ruler would be born in this city. And then by accident, coincidence, Mary and Joseph, no, no, by God's sovereign hand they go. It's, it's a reminder, this, isn't it, that, that the heart of the kings is like a stream in the hand of God and he directs its course wherever he pleases. It could have been that Jesus was born in Nazareth if not God had inceptioned this idea into Caesar Augustus's head that for tax purposes he needs to call people to register at their hometown. And it just so happens that Joseph's hometown is Bethlehem because he's of the line of David and so he needs to travel back. And so they go. And it's a 130-kilometer journey. We're not really sure if Mary walked on foot or if she had a donkey, but it's, it's a long trek. Would have taken some time. She's 38 weeks pregnant, full term, ready to burst. She would have, you know, waddled along 130Ks all the way to the city of David, to Bethlehem. And when she gets there, the baby arrives. Waters break, contractions kick in, and it's time. And, and they get there, and, and all of the inns are full. There's no more room. And so Mary goes and they find a, a, a cattle shed and she delivers her baby in a cattle shed. And, and like as we read this story, we're so familiar with the Christmas story, right? But that's crazy. By, by Western medical standards, that is such a crazy kind of birth to have. Now, it would be a bit like this. It would be a bit like walking from Sydney to Newcastle. It's about 130 Ks, full-term pregnant, walking to Newcastle and you get there and... Like, all of the hotels are full. Like, Country Comfort Inn, full. Um, the F1 motel is full. Even the backpackers, right? The backpackers are full up. And so Joseph takes his wife Mary around the back alley of the backpackers, and there's the bin there, the dumpster, and it's full of rubbish, and it stinks. All of the backpackers' old dirty food is in there, and, and there's this air convent pumping soggy hot air that hits you in the face as you walk past it and there's like milk crates and rubbish and rats and graffiti on the wall and, and Joseph gets a milk crate and puts it there and Mary sits down and they deliver a baby in the back alley behind it. Like that's what it's like for Mary to come and deliver a child in a stable. And then Joseph gets 
cardboard box from the recycling out the back and he brings it. And it's like, you know, Mary puts him in the manger. Oh, that's what it's like. This is, this is not the glamorous, you know, Christmas card kind of picture that we get. Right? This is not Mary's version of the dream birth for her, right? Sure, it might have been natural, but I mean, was she expecting that Joseph would deliver it and it would be in a. Not at all. This is dirty, it's messy, it's, it's unsavory, and in fact, it's probably humiliating. And yet, this is the very moment that Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 and 6 tell us that Jesus, who, who did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, something to be held onto, he, he empties himself. And he takes on the form of a servant, and he, he takes on the likeness of a human and is born. About, that, that's the very moment that the God of the universe becomes a person, is born. The one who is wrapped in glory is now wrapped in swaddling cloths. The one who is king of heaven and sat on his throne is now put as a baby in a feeding trough. Hey, we've got to get how crazy this is. It's crazy for Mary. It's even crazy that God would descend from earth and become a child and be born. This birth is it's obscure. It is way, it's less than ordinary. But you know, heaven has an eye on this plot. The angels see, they notice something. The excitement is building. And so at that moment, as, as Mary, her waters break and, and she goes in a labor, the angels are watching and they're holding their breath. And then that moment that Jesus comes out and they hear the first cries of that child. In verse 8, God sends another angel. He sends another angel with another message. Check it out. This is what it says in verse 8. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over the flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And then suddenly there was... With the angel, a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Despite the total obscurity of this birth, heaven recognizes the significance of this event. The angels are there. They've been watching. They're ready. And as this angel appears, the shepherds kind of squint as this bright light appears in the night sky. And this, this shepherd comes and they, this angel comes. They freak out. and He says, don't, don't fear. I bring you good news. And they, not just good news. I bring you good news of great joy. And not, not just good news of great joy. Good news of great joy for all the people. This angel, literally, he announces cosmic good news. It doesn't matter who you are doesn't matter where you live. This is good news for everyone, for you, because this child has been born. And it's not like this is just good news for Mary and Joseph and their family and friends. It's good news for everybody. Now I've got to tell you, um, on the 7th of December, 2012, at about 2.35 p.m. at Nepean Private Hospital, Judah Zephyr Sparks came into this world. Not the way we'd planned it, but he came and there were no angels. There was no choir there were no shepherds that showed up. 
it was just me and Tash, and then our family came, and friends came as we sent text messages, and eventually I took a photo of Judah lying on Tash's chest and put on Facebook, and we got like 400 likes and 117 messages, and it was good news, right? But I was only 400 likes. I was expecting something like 6.5 billion. You know, this is, no, it wasn't. It was just good news for us and for our family and for our friends. Because Judah's just, I mean, he's a pretty extraordinary kid, but he's just an ordinary kid, to be honest. So the question is, how can the birth of a child to a peasant girl in a, in a shed be good news for everybody? Like, how, how can that be the case? It's because of what the angels have told the shepherds about this child. Did you see what they said there? I think it's in verse 11. For unto you is born on this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Three things that the angels tell us about this child that has been born that makes it good news for everybody. doesn't matter who you are. The first is that Jesus is a Savior. He's a Savior. He's come to rescue And the fact that this is good news for all people implies that all people need a saviour. All people need rescuing. Yeah, that's right. The Bible says that all have sinned, that all have fallen short. The Bible says that all have exchanged the glory of God for a lie. The Bible says that all have worshipped created things rather than the creator. And therefore, all need a rescuer. Everyone needs, I need rescuing. You need rescuing. You need a savior. So this is good news because everyone is in the same boat. We're all messed up by our sin. You know, the problem is there's a misconception about what sin is. You see, we think that sin is just, it's just a behavior that you need to modify and fix up and then you'll be sweet. Or we think, well, um, we're not really bad people. We just occasionally do bad things. But you know, what the, you know what the Bible says about sin? You know what this book says is that sin is much more like adultery. Sin is much more like two people who have made a commitment, made promises, made a covenant to each other. And then one of those people rips that covenant apart and, and cheats and is unfaithful and has sex and is intimate with a person who is not their husband or wife. That, that's, that's what the Bible says sin is like. That every single person has been created and made by God for relationship with Him. And yet all we do is seem to pursue everything else other than that relationship. And, and the Scriptures tell us that that breaks God's heart. That's what sin is. Sin isn't just slap on the back of the hand and we're all good. It's deep. It breaks God's heart. And you know, God is he's a perfect and just God. He, he's perfect, right? He, God doesn't, God doesn't lower his standards and just pretend that, that we're okay. He doesn't do that. That's what our, our self-help books offer. That's the solution, right? It's like, just, just, you, you don't think so lowly of yourself, right? You need, you need to have higher self-esteem. And so, so just tell yourself how amazing you are and pretend that all of that stuff doesn't exist. But you know, you'll never find that in the Bible. What happens when... When God reveals himself to the prophet Isaiah, what does he do? He says, woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips. Go away from me, Lord. God doesn't say, no, no, Isaiah, you're thinking too lowly of yourself. Like, it's not that bad. No, God says, you're right. You are a man of unclean lips. Let me do something about it. 
Let me take away your sin. Or you get John the Baptist who comes and says, I'm not even worthy to stoop down and untie Jesus' shoelace. Like Jesus doesn't say, John, you're being too hard on yourself. Of course you're worthy. Right? You will never find God agreeing with us or disagreeing with us on a lowly position of ourselves as sinful people. He always agrees with that. We're broken. We're bent. We're messed up people. And so the self-help solution of just to have more self-esteem will, will never satisfy. It will never work. We need a savior. We need a rescuer who can come and actually deal with the sin, not just pretend it's not there. And that's who Jesus is. He comes and he saves us by serving us. This is incredible, right? It's, we're not going to get there by the end of this year, but Luke chapter 23, Jesus comes and he's, he's crucified on a cross, nailed up there, and he dies. And that death is a death in my place, in your place, taking the, pen, the penalty and the punishment for our sin. That's how Jesus is a savior. And it's good news. It's good news for all people because he rescues us. But it's also good news because Jesus is not just a savior. He's also the Christ. Christ just means chosen one or anointed one or the one that the prophets had been promising would come for centuries and, and millennia. In fact, they were, this one is coming. This is what, that's what Christ means. He's the chosen one. He's the promised one. He's the one that Zechariah and Elizabeth had been waiting for in the temple and Simeon had been waiting for. And, and then he shows up. You know, I don't know if you've heard this objection that, um, that it was just an accident that Jesus happened to fulfill all of these prophecies about him. It just so happens that, yes, he was born in Bethlehem, and yes, his father was of the line of David, and, and yes, his mother was a virgin, and it was, all of that was just a big accident. It really could have been anybody. He's not really that special. But did you know that the mathematical probability of Jesus fulfilling just eight prophecies is a number... 10 to the power of 17. I don't even know how big that number is, but it's a big number. 10 to the power of 17. But here's the deal. Jesus just didn't fulfill eight prophecies. There are over 300 prophecies about Jesus that he's fulfilled. This is not an accident. For thousands of years, people have been predicting this one, and then he came, and, and it all perfectly lined up with the person of Jesus because God has a plan. He is the Christ. And thirdly, he is the Lord. He is King He's ruler. He's king of heaven. He's king of earth. He's king of my life and he's, he's king of your life. I don't know if you've seen um, that movie, Talladega Nights, with Will Ferrell. I don't know who the other guy is, curly hair, the balding curly hair guy. He's funny as well. But there's a scene in the movie where, um, where they sit down to say grace and, and Will Ferrell opens grace. He says, Dear baby Jesus, six pound, eight ounce, baby Jesus in your golden fleece diaper, such a little baby, yet still omnipotent. And, and then his father-in-law, I think his name's Kip, interjects and says, come on, Jesus isn't a baby anymore. He's a man. And he's like, well, I prefer the baby version better. So I'm going to pray to the baby version. And then his friend's like, I like to think of Jesus like wearing a tuxedo t-shirt, which says, you know, I'm formal, but I'm here to party. And and, you know, the deal is, like, you can't just pick and choose the version of Jesus that you like. But you know what? The funny thing is we do it. I, I did it. I did it for five years. When I was 13, I went on this youth camp with our church, and, and for the very first time, I got what it meant that Jesus was Savior. I, it just clicked for me. Like, I'd grown up in church. I'd heard the story, but it was like, man, I get that. 
I get what it means now that Jesus died on the cross for my sin. And it was personal and real for me. And, and it was real because I'd done a lot of things that I knew had disappointed myself. I disappointed my, my family and ultimately it disappointed God. And, and so I, I liked the fact that Jesus would deal with my sin because I knew it was real. I knew it was there. Problem was, I didn't particularly like the fact that Jesus was Lord and in control of my life. And so I spent five years just enjoying the fact that Jesus, yep, he's going to deal with my sin, but there's no way I'm going to let Jesus have any say in how I live my life. We, can't do, we don't just get to pick the version of Jesus that we like. He is all of these things at the same time. Savior, Christ, Lord. And that's why this is good news, that a child born to a peasant girl in a shed is good news for all people because of who he is. Well, it seems at this point that, that heaven just cannot contain itself. Like the angels are there. They've been watching. Jesus has been born. And then it just bursts into this overflow of praises. And it seems like the heavenly realm just can't be contained. It just ends up dumping itself on earth for all to see. The curtains are drawn back. And this, this heavenly choir shows up and announces this message to these, these shepherds. It's almost like every single angel in all of heaven comes. They stand there. It's called the, the multitude of the host of God. That is the multitude of God's army. Everyone, all of the angels are there. And they've been yearning to see this point, longing, looking, waiting. And it's here. And they come and they praise God for what he's doing. You notice there's a massive contrast between heaven and earth. Jesus is born in a stable. No one notices. And, and yet heaven is rejoicing. Like there, there's no privilege. There's no palace. There's no, there's no announcements. It's just, and yet the angels show up and say, we know what is happening here. We can see the significance of this event. Something big has happened. Don't miss it. And so they tell the angels who this child is. And then what do the shepherds do? The angels come, they tell them about this baby, the heavenly choir shows up. What do they do? Verse 15, this is what they do. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go over to Jerusalem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them, but Mary treasured up these things, pondering them in her heart, and the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they'd heard and seen as it had been told to them. Shepherds come, they get to Bethlehem, they find the baby in the manger, like, no way, no way. And they tell what do they they tell people? They're like, You'll never guess what happened. Like, we were just out in the field looking after the sheep around the campfire, and Davo was telling about this time where he fought off this wolf with his bare hands. We we're like Whatever, Davo. And all of a sudden, this, this angel appears in the sky and, and brings us this message about this baby who's going to be wrapped in swaddling cloths. And we come and it, it's exactly like it was. And, and, and they said to us that this is going to be the child and he's going to be a savior and he's the Christ and he's the Lord. And they just declare this good news, right? Because of what they've seen, what they've heard. And everyone ponders and wonders and, and Mary treasures it in her heart. She rejoices over it. You know, I think this passage is telling us, this passage is saying this, 
this child, this birth is good news. And it is good news to be believed. And it is good news to be told. So my question for you this morning is, is this good news to you? Do you you believe this? Do you believe that Jesus has been born a a rescuer, a a saviour? You know, our problem is that we're we're so wealthy and so self-sufficient and so comfortable and so good that we just don't think we need God at all. We don't. But the reality is we're desperate. We're desperate for a saviour. Is this good news to you? Do you believe it? Uh, secondly, is this good news that you think is worth sharing? You know, that the fact that heaven cannot contain itself. Oh, heaven is not silent over this event. The shepherds, when they find out, are not silent about this event. When something this big and this good happens, this world-changing happens, they speak it, they declare it, they shout it, they praise this. Good news, they gossip it, they gospel it. They can't help it because it's so good. So the question is, how come Christians are so silent about this good news? My guess is partly because our audience is hostile. right? You want to talk about Jesus and the only thing our world really wants to hear is, you know what happened at the Adelaide Fringe Festival earlier this year was, there was a show where you could just go and heckle Jesus on the stage. right? That's the version of Jesus our world likes. Not the version of Jesus who is Christ and King and Lord and Savior. We don't like that version. So our audience is hostile and so we just don't think it's good news. But that doesn't change anything. This is good news. It's good news for all people. It's good news of great joy. But you know, sometimes I think the other reason that we're silent is because the sheen of the gospel has just worn off. Like we've forgotten how good this is. We're so familiar with this story. And, and when we come back to it, we're like, actually, you know what? This is good news. This is good news of great joy for all people. What could be more joyful? What could be better news than the fact that God has rescued us from an eternity in hell? What could be better news than the fact that we deserved wrath and we got grace? What could be better news than, than God has poured out all of his blessings on us in Christ Jesus? That's the best news ever. It really is. What other worldview offers news like this? I mean, what? Like you look around at the options that we have. There's heaps of them. I mean, does, does atheism offer a satisfying thing like this? You're a, a, a random, insignificant clump of atoms that one day will cease to exist. That's it. That's depressing. It's not good news. There's no joy in that. Or, or you look at... Every other religion that this world has to offer, it says, if you're good enough, then maybe God will accept you. doesn't sound like good news to me. sounds like a lot of effort with not much assurance. Friends, this is good news because Jesus has done for us what we could not possibly hope to do for ourselves. He's rescued us. He's saved us. It's good news because 2,000 years ago, lying in a feeding trough, God began his rescue mission. But you want to know what makes the news today? You you want to know what the angels are looking over the balcony of heaven for today? You want to know what they're celebrating about and praising over? It's this. Have a look at Luke chapter 15. 
verse 7 and 10. This is Jesus speaking. He says, Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need repentance. Or verse 10, Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. You want to know what gets the angels excited today? What heaven rejoices over? It's when a person perceives and sees their need and comes to God and asks for mercy and grace and forgiveness and comes home. And the angels rejoice. They part that, like if you listen carefully with the ears of faith, you can hear champagne bottles popping in heaven as the angels celebrate that this person that God had made who was lost is now found and come back. That's what heaven rejoices over. And friends, if, if you love Jesus, if you worship him, if you've placed your faith and trust in him and he is your savior, your king, the angels rejoiced the day that happened in your life. They rejoiced that your name is now written in the book of life. And we forget that so quickly. This is good news of great joy. What does Peter say? He says, we are filled with an inexpressible joy. It, it's just, it's so good. We don't even have words. Like we can sing songs of praise, but it doesn't even do justice to how good this good news is. Maybe, maybe you're here today and you wouldn't call yourself a follower of Jesus. You don't worship him and love him and he's not your king and your savior. Then maybe today could be the day where you kick off a party in heaven as the angels rejoice when you come to Jesus and say, I need your help. I need rescuing. I need saving. Please, please rescue me. Friends, we'd love to give you an opportunity to do that during this time of response. We're going to spend time together now, doing what the angels did, praising God for what he's done, for his work. We're going to sing songs in response. And during this time, we're going to remember the death of Jesus. Remember what it is. See, on the night before Jesus was betrayed, he had a meal with his disciples and he took bread and he broke it and he gave thanks. And he said, this bread is a symbol of my body, which is broken for you. Every time you eat it, you declare the gospel. And this is a cup of wine, it represents my blood that was spilt and shed for your forgiveness. Every time you drink it, you declare the gospel. Do this. Remember what I've done. So we're going to do that this morning, friends. We're going to remind ourselves of how good it is that Jesus came and was born as a baby to be our Savior, our rescuer. And so as your heart is ready, as you've done business with God, come forward, dip the bread into the grape juice, and there is gluten-free bread if that's your preference. And remember what Jesus has done. We're going to have some guys, Brian and Steve, are going to be available just in the foyer here for prayer. If you would like prayer for anything, if you would like to make this day the day that the angels rejoice over you coming home, they would love to pray for you and pray with you. But friends, let's take this opportunity to respond and declare the good news that Jesus, the Savior, has been born. Let me pray. Band will come up now. Father God, we rejoice this morning in the good news that we have a savior, that we have a rescuer, that you initiated a plan to restore this creation that had shunned you and turned your back on you. We thank you for that. And we rejoice in it this morning, Father, and we, we declare how great you are. We love you, Lord, and we want this time to be our hearts pouring out in praise for what you have done for us. And we praise you for this in the strong and mighty name of our Savior, our Christ, our Lord, Jesus.
Amen.